Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett, internationally recognized branding consultant and best-selling author of the books, Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. By having a relentless mentality, I've pushed boundaries and gotten into rooms with pro athletes and power players, built a successful business, and moved the ball in male-dominated industries. Now, I'm using my same of the ball methodology to help thousands of people dominate their game when it comes to their brands and creating opportunities. This podcast is all about uncovering strategies of the world's best athletes and business leaders to help you get to that next level. Join me in conversations that will elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Real quickly, if you haven't already done so, be sure that you follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Also, share the show with some friends, family, colleagues, and coworkers too. One other thing, I'd also love for you to leave a review and let me know what you think of the show. I always enjoy getting your feedback. Now. For today's episode, I had a chance to sit down with Mike Dempsey, who is a former professional athlete that was also a survivor of the 9-11 World Trade Center attacks, and he was in Las Vegas at the Mandalay Bay during the shooting in 2017. On this episode, we talk about those two experiences, how to be resilient, the importance of finding your helpers, and more. Have a listen to this episode. Mike, it is great to have you on the show and inside the huddle with us. We've known each other for many years now, and you're always staying on the move and keeping busy. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm here at Lake Norman, Charlotte today. I was at a couple of NASCAR events for a guy from Brooklyn who never knew what NASCAR even meant. I'm hanging out with Kyle Busch at his charity event and Joey Logano and Frankie Munoz, an actor from Malcolm in the Middle, who's a NASCAR rookie and racing and something tonight. So yeah, it's been a great 24 hours here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, I know you're always doing so many great things, and I love keeping up with your journey on social media. And you and I stay in touch fairly often, so I always see you're you're just doing great things, and you are moving the ball. So the first question is, are you ready to move the ball today on the show? Of course I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> All right, let's do it. So the last time I saw you was during Super Bowl weekend. We were out in Arizona, and like me, you are always out there every year partaking in so many activities around the Super Bowl. I mean, there's no shortage of different events that are going on. We were at some of the same events. And this question might be a little tough for you to answer because there are so many great things that go on around Super Bowl. But of all the things that you did, what was your most favorite event? I would say now it's probably the flag football events. Two years ago in Los Angeles, we did one for the NFL alumni. We played against the Wounded Warriors and they beat us actually, but it was a fun game playing against Kurt Warner. We had Jeff Garcia. I dropped a 45-yard bomb from Sage Rosenfels that threw my hands. I'm a defensive guy, by the way, but it was so much fun. And those guys can really play, and we were doing it for a great cause. That's what it's all about, Super Bowl week, giving back. And then this past year, we were in Arizona, played at Grand Canyon University, celebrity sweat flag football, played against RG3, Doug Flutie. We had Tracy McGrady. As our quarterback, we actually won 80 to 74, but it was just so much fun raising money for veteran charities. And that's what it's all about. And you serve, obviously, our country. And I just think giving back to our military is what it's all about during Super Bowl week. 
every military organization is doing great things to serve, but to see some of them involved with that celebrity sweat flag football game is great. And I know you do other things beyond helping military organizations. So again, I just appreciate all the things that you do, Mike, to not just move the ball and make an impact in the veteran space, but across all the different organizations that you're involved in. And we'll talk about some of those here on the show today. You were in the 1% that had the opportunity to play professional football. Talk to us a little bit about your football journey. The football journey started really by dumb luck. I was playing Division Three by that point. Went from Boston University to Albany, Division Three. Graduated late because I transferred, and then I ended up in the Arena Football, Albany Firebirds. Got my opportunity because they were practicing at our college, and it just was dumb luck that they had a couple injuries. In 1993, I get this opportunity of a lifetime playing the Knickerbocker Arena. For anybody who's from Albany, New York, it was really exciting. Three weeks in, had my first devastating injury, torn ACL meniscus, reconstructive surgery. It was about a year and a half rehab. End up with this amazing, again, opportunity once again with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, undrafted free agent coming on in 95 in training camp. Sam Weiss was the coach. And let's just say I was physically unable, unable to perform, had some other extenuating injuries that just left me on that physically unable to perform list. And then I became a practice squatter for, through 1996. But I had the opportunity to play for a guy named Herm Edwards under Tony Dungy. Herm Edwards was a guy who I still consider a mentor. And he, at least I got a lot of time to practice against some of the greats of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mike Alstott, Derek Brooks, all these guys, John Lynch. It was just an amazing opportunity. But I would say NFL for a lot of guys like me is not for long. And I was able to latch on and do some work with the Yankees. The Yankees had relocated their spring training to Tampa in 1996, but then I got a real job, right? <laughs> so I ended up working for Solomon Brothers, Wall Street firm that moved from New York to Tampa. Started my Wall Street career around that time in late 96. Ended up going back up to New York with the Smith Barney Citigroup merger, working for Credit Suisse First Boston. And then something 9-11-01 happened. I was working in the World Trade Center. And as you know, Jen, I was injured that day. Life changed forever. So had this really incredible journey trying to really bounce back from what was the most devastating event of my life. And then I had the infamy, as you know, five years ago, being in Mandalay Bay on October 1st, 2017, not at the concert. I don't really watch country music, but I was at the Mandalay Bay Hotel outside and was witness to two of the most devastating incidents, at least in my personal history. So I think resiliency and moving the ball forward is really a big thing in my life. So your podcast helps inspire me. I think my story serves to inspire others as well. Oh, for sure. And I'm glad that you talked about 9-11 as well as Mandalay Bay, because as I was thinking about our show, and like I said, we've known each other for a long time, and there's a lot of different things that we could talk about while we're here together. But you bring some unique perspectives, having been involved with 9-11 and Mandalay Bay. And for those that have listened to the show earlier in this season, I talk about an experience that Jalen dealt with at Michigan State. She was on campus during the shooting. She was barricaded in the law library for over four hours. So just imagine you have these kids in their early 20s that are on campus. They've got the lights turned off. They're hiding in the second floor of this law library for over four hours. Misinformation is being communicated about how many shooters there are on campus, what kind of weapons they were told people were being held hostage. And all that's a very interesting experience that you never expect your family to go through. 
and be a part of and getting text messages on what's going on. And so having gone through that is one thing I never thought I would be a part of, but knowing you and knowing that you've gone through other experiences that are very similar, I think it was worth having a conversation on this show about those experiences. And how do you pick up those pieces? How do you move on from those experiences? I mean, not just one, but two separate incidences. So I do want to spend some time talking about those because like I said, of all the guests that I've had on the show, nobody has been involved in those types of events. And they're very important events to talk about because especially in today's day, I know you might and I have talked about how there are so many mass shootings nowadays. And it's just insane how many we hear about. It's a daily occurrence. And so let's start with 9-11. Talk to us about, I mean, I think anyone who was around during 9-11 can remember where they were exactly in that moment when they heard about the North Tower being hit by the first plane and then the South Tower being hit. I mean, it's just crazy. I and mean, it's been 20 plus years since that event, but we can all still remember where we were on that day. So tell us a little bit more about your experience there. And then in those days that followed, like, where did you go? How did you kind of pick up those pieces and continue to move forward? Well, my story really simply was going to a Yankee game the night before. Roger Clemens was going for his 20th win. It was a two and a half hour rain delay. It was rained out. Didn't get to see the Rocket get that 20th win, although he did, I think, later in the season. But obviously that morning I was on time for work. My wife was late to work. She was working in the World Trade Center as well. She would have been on the... 100th floor of Tower One, working with Marshall McLennan. And he was late, but I was on time. And we didn't, that was back when cell phones were very new. And so I evacuated when the plane hit the building. Didn't even know a plane hit because we didn't have TVs to see what was going on or even understand what, what it could be a bomb or something. Evacuated orbitally, but I went out through the World Trade Center on the other side of the Trade Center by it was a record store called Sam Goody on Liberty Street in Greenwich near Tower Two. And unfortunately, when I came out of that building, Tower 2, that's when the second plane hit. I was under it, trampled. I had a fractured skull, internal bleeding, other injuries. I was taken to Beekman, NYU, downtown hospital. Then I was transferred to Mercy Medical in Rockville Center, Long Island. You know, the thing that I fell into was really just being all the things I saw that day was really there was no closure. I still, 22 years later, I had a dream, believe it or not, the other night about the World Trade Center. 22 years later. And I'm still thinking about it because you don't erase those images. PTSD is a real thing. Think back then, we were still getting that vernacular around PTSD, what it means. And talking to the Oklahoma City bombing folks from Oklahoma up to New York to help us open up my eyes, honestly, because I didn't know much about the Oklahoma City bombing back in 1995, April 19th. And they were up there to give us a hug. They weren't doctors or therapists. They were just there to provide perspectives. And that's what I tried to do over the years when Parkland happened. I was able to get down to Parkland and have a peer group forum with different communities of survivors and families from Boston Marathon to Virginia, the shooting down in Virginia Tech and all 9-11, Vegas, etc. And it really provided the Parkland families and I think also survivors who were the forgotten group there. You know, the kids who went there, who were there that day that survived the shooting, you know, they're not really spoken about. And they had a lot of trauma of what they went through that day. And I think sometimes even Ivaldi was a year ago yesterday when they had that anniversary. And I think the survivors from that event are the forgotten population. So we provide a lot of, I'm trying to pay it forward, providing peer support like Oklahoma City bombing families did for me. Because I think this community has grown exponentially over the last five years. You said it already, mass shootings every day. It's just sickening to think that our kids go to school and they're in fear of their lives. I've heard from other parents and 
their students will say, we think about shootings every single day because it happens so often. And it's just, I don't like the podcast to be a negative vibe, but I think this is a very important conversation, especially since May was Mental Health Awareness Month and mental health is something that is important to both you and I. And so I think that it's important for us to remember, it's not just about recognizing mental health and and providing resources and helping and looking out for people during May, we need to be doing that all throughout the year. And there's just so much going on in the world and so much negativity. And there's people that need resources. So call to action here would be for people listening to this episode specifically. I mean, check on the people that are around you, even if they look fine. Not everyone is fine that shows that they're happy or smiling. And so it's just important to really make sure that we're just having touch points with people that we care about. You talked about how we're having mass shootings every single day. I mean, I feel like as society, people have become numb to it because it happens so often. I mean, you get your notifications on your phone. You're like, oh, shoot, this happened again. You might be sad. Usually when we see mass shootings that involve children, people tend to remember those for a few more days than a mass shooting that might be in a mall where there are adult victims. And I mean, all of them are, are sad. But what happens is we get so busy with our lives that we we're on to something else in our life and we forget about that event till we hear of the next one. And I'll say for me, after the Michigan State shooting, like every single time I get a notification on my phone, like I relive that trauma or that the stress associated with the shooting from Michigan State, because now I'm paying more attention to it versus just saying, oh shit, another one happened. And then you're on with your daily lives. So it's traumatizing for families, uh, the loved ones as well. And I think that's something my wife went through as well. She was on her way to work that day and got down to Canal Street, couldn't get down to the frozen zone. Not only was I the one who was the victim that day, she had to care for me, but then she also had to go back to work and she was taking care of Marsh Lost, well over a thousand folks that day, and she was doing benefits. She had to take care of the benefits for those who left behind their families. And that was traumatizing. And she went on a disability a couple of years later. That was a lot of it was because of that, just the mental health trauma of going through that, reliving that every day. People forget about those stories. So I think the families have to be considered. And it's unfortunately that these things are going to continue unless we get gun control legislation in place and get kind of come to a common ground so that these mass shootings will stop happening. But fortunately, it's continued to grow. And I think we're all kind of victimized by it as family members and just any, I think everybody we know, probably everybody listening to this podcast has probably known somebody connected to one of these events by now. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even like with Jalen, I mean, she knew two people who were killed from the Michigan State shooting and people will ask me, how is Jalen doing? And you never expect, I mean, we have friends who get killed in car accidents, who become sick and pass away. And we realize that those things kind of happen in life, but you never expect to know somebody who was killed because some person that usually has some mental illness or is just an evil person decides to do these senseless acts. And it's just crazy to just see how much it happens on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. The numbers, if anyone's interested, I mean, just go Google the number and you'll see it happens a lot more than you think it does. And I don't want this to be a very negative show, but I think it's important for us to talk about that. So the other part is that is how do you move forward, whether you've been a part of something like a mass shooting or some other tragic event, or you've just had some circumstance in your life that has been very disappointing, perhaps traumatic, and it's time to figure out how do I 
pick up those pieces and move the ball forward. Mike, what are some things that you would tell people that they should be doing whenever they're feeling in some state of vulnerability and just despair or they've lost hope or they're just feeling down? Like, what are things that they should be doing to be resilient and to continue to move forward? I will quote my friend Fred Gutenberg, who lost his daughter Jamie in a Parkland shooting on February 14th, uh, 2018. Fred always said, find your helpers. And that's what I've done over the years. Uh, Oklahoma City were my helpers back in 9-11. And then after the Las Vegas shooting, I needed help again. And I got help from a lot of people, a lot of coaches. And around Super Bowl time, we formed an athlete peer group. Mental health has been a big challenge for NFL alumni transitioning out of the game. And we started this group, Marcus Ogden, Shaylin Brand, and others, and Misty Buck, who's a licensed mental health coach, and it's called My Keepers. And we started it to really help each other through a lot of issues we have around different topics. Every week, we have another topic. We go around table, and it's really been enlightening for a lot of us. And sometimes I'll help them. They'll help me. Every week, we have another kind of a topic, and I think it really helps to have that kind of peer coaching and I get text messages, we're on a group text and I get probably 10 of them, 15 of them a day. And it lifts me up. It's a positive. So you got to find your helpers back to where I started talking about how do you move forward? You got to find that group that's going to lift you up. Sometimes it's not your family. Sometimes it's strangers and people that have been through like-minded experiences. I found at the 9-11 that I was not able to talk to my family about it. I was able to talk to other terrorism survivors. At that time, there was only a few uh, terrorism events that in our lifetimes, Oklahoma City was one, but the 9-11 survivors and family members, they became my family. Wasn't a family I chose to have, but it was a family that was kind of given to me given what happened on that day. But I'm grateful for it. 22 years later, I still have a lot of the same friends, their family to me, and we all kind of lift each other up when we have down moments. We do need to find our helpers. And to your point, they're not always your family, but you need to find those people that they sometimes can be people that have similar experiences. There might be other people that you just met through professional groups, not necessarily the same common interests or common experiences, but they're people that you vibe with and that can kind of help you get through whatever it is that you're going through and provide that positivity and that upliftment and encouragement. Mental health was a stigma back in the day. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, Flatbush, and tough Irish family. And, you know, I never really thought I'd ever see a therapist. Therapy wasn't for me either, honestly. I used the peer support groups because I was embarrassed to go to a therapist. But I started seeing one three years ago. And it was very awkward going in there the first time. Now we do it telehealth because the pandemic. And thank God I don't have to go to an office because I don't think I can sit on that chair like Tony Soprano did in, that TV, in the Sopranos. Yeah, I'm getting used to it. And I really find the therapist I have really, who's obviously clinically trained and PTSD just helps me. Um, he has a very spiritual approach to when I have a lot of setbacks, but he really lifts me back up again and tells me about, hey, Mike, you're resilient. And he keeps telling me these things and look at different chapters of my life, football, how I bounce back. And like I said, you know, I was playing flag football a couple months ago with like legends of the game for a guy who was out of the league 25 years ago. So I bounced back, you know, baseball. I gave up on it as a college athlete. I was ended up playing an old timers day with the New York Yankees on 2015 on Father's Day in front of my kids. Incredible moment in my life, adversity, bouncing back and then boxing. You know, Jen, I did that for three years. I was a failed amateur boxer in college and I got in a ring 30 years later and I had this really cool fight for Mickey Ward's charity last summer and I got in a ring three three rounds with a cruiserweight champion, three-time cruiserweight champion. 
And those are the kind of things for me is like living life to its fullest. That's what I kind of tell people all the time. You got to do things today because tomorrow's not promised for any of us. So I try to live my life to the fullest. Anybody who follows me on social media can tell that I pack a lot in because we're on borrowed time. We're all terminal, right? We're all going to be gone one day, just some are longer than others. So I try to learn from these events to learn to say, you know, I love you to the people in your life. That means something. Always say what's on your mind and live your life every day to its fullest. Oh, absolutely. And I think with the pandemic, a lot of people have really come to appreciate that tomorrow is never promised to any one of us. And so we do need to appreciate the journey. It's not just about the outcome or the destination, but it's about the process, enjoying the process as we're going through it, embracing the struggles too. But remembering that, as you mentioned, we're on borrowed time. We all will have a date that will be our last. So it's about not losing sight of every single day and the gift that they are. Right. Exactly. So, Mike, something that I love to ask people who are competitive athletes is that competitive athlete mentality and mindset and how that's so important to being able to be successful in life, whatever it is you do, whether it's something sports related or business related, or you're in the corporate world or you're an entrepreneur, whatever, like having that same type of mentality as competitive athletes is so useful to being successful because it will help you go through the peaks and the valleys. What are some of the things that you've really learned from being a competitive athlete that have helped you, not only from a resiliency standpoint, and having to navigate these other events that we just talked about, but also just to be successful and be where you're at in your career. Well, I keep trying to improve every day, right? I may always say like you're sometimes things that could be considered your weaknesses are your strengths. When it comes to being a self-critic, I'm always trying to strive to be a better person, better athlete. I might've had a good baseball game when I was playing in the senior leagues, but I wasn't satisfied with that. I want to be four for four. That's a negative thing too. Sometimes I've kind of learned that sometimes I'm too hard on myself and you got to appreciate. And that's what we learned to say, what are your wins? I think that one challenge I had with a competitive mindset was I wasn't appreciating the wins I was having in my life. I think now that group that I just mentioned is saying every time we go around the group and say, what's one good thing you did last week? And we all force ourselves and it's hard for me because I'm always looking at everything I do, well, I can do better. But so that's the competitive, I think, that pushes me. But sometimes I push myself too hard. As competitive athletes, we really need to look at the strengths and look at the things we did well and kind of pat ourselves on the back. And sometimes we don't do enough of that. I don't do enough of that myself. I kind of look at things in my life and I'm not like I'm sometimes too negative on it. I want to do better. I want to be a better in the boxing ring or playing flag football. I think I was so bummed that I dropped that 45-yard pass from Sage Rosenfels. Meanwhile, I'm playing in a flag football game with against Kurt Warner, Jeff Garcia, and all these guys, and I'm bummed about that catch that I missed. Instead of just being appreciative that I was on the field with these legends, and now I've kind of turned my mindset into something positive. So I would say that definitely you got to make sure you focus on those wins and kind of not to so – but I don't rest on my laurels at all. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. I mean, I think it's important. One, we always need to be continuous improvement focused. I write about that in both of my move the ball and dominate the game books. That's important. On the flip side, though, you also have to make sure you're giving yourself grace and you're taking credit for the things that you've done. Two, it's not just about push, push, push and never be satisfied. Let's also take the wins as they come as well, because those are important. And having that perspective is important to look, take the credit that you've done because you're working hard. So don't lose sight of that. And that will also fuel you to continue to push instead of demotivating you because you don't feel like you've achieved what you wanted to in a certain time frame. As I was listening to you, you reminded me too. Um, so we're in season four of the show. 
back in season one, I'm pretty sure it was season one, I had Wes Chamberlain on the show who played Major League Baseball. And he had talked about how he had gone to the World Series and they had lost. And he was traveling somewhere and he ran across a guy that had been his baseball idol. He was talking about how suck that they went to the World Series and lost. And the guy said to him, he's like, you know, you're looking at it the wrong way. He's like, my 20 years that I played professional baseball, I never went to the World Series. And so I would have been so happy with just playing in the World Series because whoever loses the World Series also gets a ring. And so they were talking about the loser's ring. And the guy was telling him, it's like, you still got to play in the World Series, even though you didn't win, like appreciate that and take credit for the hard work that you and the team have done to even make it to that point. And and so I just think that it's important to remember, like, even if you don't get the outcome that you've wanted at the end of the day, like take credit for the things that got you there. I'll give you one other example. So, you know, Mike, that I'm in real estate too. And one of my fellow realtors, his daughter ended up going to the national cheer championships. And I saw him a few days ago and I asked him how it was. He's like, oh, they did great, but they didn't win. And I was like, but they made it. I mean, you have to celebrate that success that your team made it to the championship. As well, So I think it's important that we're all looking at the wins that we're having along the way to whatever it is we're looking to do. It's not just about the big win. Well, you hit on something very good, too, you know, because I know for years I was embarrassed to tell anybody I was an NFL alumni because I had such a brief time in the league. I was embarrassed to talk about it. And it took me like till about three, four years ago when I started to embrace the fact that I did get my card. I did earn it. All right. I did go through practices. I didn't get on the field and have the game action like a lot of the other guys. But I still actually earned that privilege. And I wear the shirt and I'm proud of it. So I think there's a kind of a different mindset that I learned on myself as well in the last number of years. For sure. So, Mike, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have some fun and we'll be right back. Hey, have you moved the ball in your own life today? If you're working toward your dream job, a new personal record or a bigger salary, you need a plan to consistently make progress. That's why I wrote Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. These books are packed with strategy and easy to implement tips on gaining clarity of your goals, developing your own personalized playbook for success, pushing your boundaries of comfortability, and really elevating and dominating. Go to www.dominateandmove.com and enter code DOMINATE2023 for a 20% discount on the bundle. And all books are signed copies as well. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, we are back, Mike. Are you ready? I'm going to run you through the questions as part of my two-minute drill. Sounds good. All right, here we go. First question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself? I would say resilient, tough, compassionate. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? I've played probably more sports competitively than most people have (laughs) through boxing, professional wrestling, football, baseball. I just haven't played soccer. It's the only one I think I don't have on my resume. Would you rather be the world champion of your sport or the CEO of a billion-dollar company, and why? World champion of the sport. (laughs) That's always something I always wanted to be more than, I mean, obviously in the corporate world, but I think more proud of the stuff I've done on the athletic spectrum of things. What book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I'm listening to Authentic with Marcus Ogden, who's one of my coaches in that peer group. And I listen to yours, obviously. And I just actually finished reading your book. I'm not trying to plug your book, Jennifer, but I would plug your book. I just gave it to me Super Bowl week and you did a great job on it. It's your second book that I've read. I know you've done a couple of other books, but you definitely, and Marcus as well, I want to plug, like I said, his podcast as well. It's great for authenticity. I think I like to consider myself being very authentic like Marcus is and you are as well, Jen. 
Oh, well, thank you. And Marcus does a fantastic job. I love him. He was on the show as well. I think it was in season one. We've done over 280 episodes. So sometimes the seasons get blurred together, but I'm pretty sure Marcus was on in season one as well, if not season two. But he's an awesome individual, great human being. And so I love what he's doing as well. So the next question is, if you could have any song played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be? Wow, that's a tough one. I was going to say Enter Sandman. I love Mariano Rivera. I, I always love that. That was such an energetic song. Him coming in from the bullpen to close a game. I think that Metallica, Enter Sandman, I think was always just one of my personal favorites. I have so many, so much music I like, Bruce Springsteen, you know, but I think the Metallica one always just lifted me up the adrenaline. I think we all need adrenaline in our veins sometimes when we're competing. What would your next career move be if you were guaranteed to succeed? The one dream I really haven't lived yet, I try to, as a professional wrestler. I don't want to go back into wrestling. I'm 52 years old, but I wanted to be the Vince McMahon of wrestling because I was a great on the mic. And I did WCW Power Plant back in 1995, and I couldn't finish. I love the way wrestling it takes athleticism and it entertains. <laughs> All right, next question is, you have 24 hours and a private plane that will take you anywhere. Where are you going? You know what? I got to go with Tahiti. I think Tahiti is one of those uh, Fiji islands. I was, I grew up loving Jimmy Superfly Snooker, the wrestler. I was always intrigued with the islands and the, the rock. is got the Samoan heritage. I think if it was a plane, because, you know, I could drive to Miami. I could always. But I think going to like Tahiti or the Fiji islands would be my personal getaway. Okay, great choices. Now the bonus question is M&M's, plain or peanut? Uh, I got to go plain. I don't like peanuts. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know that about you. All right. Peanut allergy, that's why. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense then. So Mike, as we look to close the show, any last thoughts for our listeners? It's about resiliency. It's about picking yourself up and moving forward, right? The Rocky Balboa in that last movie that he did when he said, you know, you get knocked down and you get back up again. That's what boxing, that's what winning's all about, right? Picking yourself up from those defeats and what you consider failures and moving forward that's winning you mentioned that you just read my latest book dominate the game and the subtitle is how life changes when you show up and it's all about showing up every single day and just got to keep moving forward exactly so mike let people know where are you at on social media i know you have a website too so give us that info so people can keep up with you follow you reach out to you if they want to connect further yeah, website is themikedempsey.com. So I have a lot of my content on there. I did a podcast as well with my daughters a few years ago. So if you want to watch some, I'm an autism dad. I didn't get into that topic, but some great topics there on that show. So you can check out the website again, themikedempsey.com. Instagram, Real Mike Dempsey, at Real Mike Dempsey. And I'm on Facebook as well. And yeah, I'm always on there posting, as you know. For sure. Yes, you are. I see lots of content, good content, I might add. And so, Mike, we will have all of those links in the show notes so people can follow you on your journey. There is one other thing I wanted to ask you about, because you mentioned earlier how it took you a long time to really embrace and want to share that you had had an NFL experience as part of your background, just because it wasn't as long as some other people. I'm glad that you have embraced that now and talked to people about that. But there are people when they're looking at socializing their brand or communicating who they are, there might be things in their past that are things that are great to bring up because you can connect with others around it, but they are feeling a little embarrassed or not necessarily wanting to bring those things up because it's not something that they would think of sharing with the world. But the reality is everybody has people they can connect with. Everyone's story matters, right? What can you share with people about, you know, if they're thinking of putting themselves out there a little bit more and helping to 
have more of a social presence or develop their brand as I do a lot of work with people on their brands, what helped you or what really got you comfortable with sharing that part of your background as you continue to share your brand with the world? You know, that's a good question. I think for me, it was really just understanding that was a part of my journey. It's where I started my journey, right? I wouldn't have never been on Wall Street in Tampa, where I started with Solomon Brothers, if not for the failures of football. Those failures turned into successes, and then it comes full circle. And then 25 years later, there I am playing flag football again and hanging out with professional athletes from my past. And I think so things that you think were failures when you were either a high school athlete or college athlete, 20, 30 years later, you can kind of relive those memories. You know, I'm going to Vegas next weekend with my high school football buddies from 1986. Whatever things you did in your past, I think you got to have that connectivity with people who are, whether it was volleyball or basketball, whatever sport you played, I think those relationships will continue forever. For sure. And I think I just, I'll just share from my background. I mean, you know, my, I'm a single parent, right? And I, when I was looking at leaving corporate America and building my own brand, I had people that were like, well, Jen, you should talk about being a single parent. I'm like, well, why would I want to share about that? Like, that's not something that I'm excited about because <laughs> I felt like it made you seem more vulnerable and not as strong of a position, especially when I was in corporate. You didn't want people to know that because as you're looking to climb the ladder, you want people to think that your life is the company and you're focused on, you'll do what the business needs you to do. And so for me, it was I wasn't really excited about sharing that fact, but it is through that fact and sharing that I've made wonderful connections with people. Same thing with my military service for a long time. I didn't really want to mention too much about military service because as a lawyer in the army, my role is very different than being someone who's on the front lines and in the infantry and I'm not a SEAL or I'm not a pilot. And so it's not necessarily as sexy or exciting from a military service standpoint, but all of us have our roles and we all do different things and we all have different experiences that we can contribute to being a part of the team. So I think that no matter what your experiences are and where you fit, all of that is part of who you are and it's your journey. So you should be comfortable with sharing that with others. Agreed. So thank you, Mike, for sharing more about your story on that topic as well. And again, Mike, I really appreciate you being on the show. Like I said, we've known each other for a a long time, and I appreciate all your support for this movement and for the Move the Ball brand. And I'm just so glad that we could have you on today. Yeah, I love those cool hats, by the way. I have one at home, so keep plugging the merchandise. (laughs) There you go. Yes, keep repping the brand. We like that too. And thanks again to everyone for listening to today's episode. Really appreciate you dialing in. And if you haven't already done so, make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you're always in the know for a future episode. And also share the show with a few friends too. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. As we talked about on the show, mental health is so important. So make sure that you're struggling, that you're getting the resources that you need, but that you're also checking on people to make sure that they're doing okay as well. And thank you again for listening and we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up and you move the ball. Thanks for listening to Move the Ball, everybody. If you were inspired by this episode, can you do me a favor and let me know? Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And also share the show with a few friends too. Next, I want you to go to getinsidethehuddle.com and join our email list. This will give you priority access to tips and strategies that will help you get more done today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You got that? Okay, until next time.